Hello and welcome to another episode of The Lowdown. Today I am excited to be joined by freelance football journalist Jasmine Baba to speak about all things German football and tactical analysis. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. Thank you for having me. No problem at all whatsoever. Jasmine, I'd actually love to hear as to how did you get into the world of football and tactical analysis more specifically? Oh, that's a loaded question to start with. Um, I was lucky enough to be born into a family where I was the youngest of four by quite a bit. And um, so I was kind of born into this culture of supporting a football team. And it was something that I shared with my older sibling. So my oldest brother is 13 years older than me. And then my sister is 10 years older than me and my other brother is like seven, eight years older than me. So it was something that we really enjoyed to watch and listen to together during the 90s, especially. Um, I think there's a, something very nostalgic about listening to football on the radio. Um, especially we were working class, we didn't have Sky growing up, stuff like that. So we'd get it, all the results um, listening to the radio, if not, you know, the odd FA Cup match on BBC or when the Champions League used to be on ITV in the UK. Um, so, yeah, it, it was something that I always had. But I, during my teenage years, I had it in the back of my mind. And it was the only thing that when boys used to speak about during secondary school, it would be one of those conversations that I could join in as well. Um, I didn't have many other hobbies that I could really say I was good at or no knowledgeable at at that time. But I always had that one thing. And to be honest, it, it took a while for that to really flourish into me. Um, I would write on and off, especially with the kind of boom in blogs and stuff around 10 years ago um, so I'd write occasionally nothing really serious and then I started to go from retail world of work to website content in the gambling industry because of the kind of knowledge over sports that I'd have um, again it wasn't really writing and it was only later and around two years ago when I joined my first editorial job and I kind of winged it at the time saying, look, I do write regularly. Um, and it was just the knowledge of knowing what makes a sports news story, what could change markets, because I was in the gambling industry. And um, knowing those things got me into my first editor role. Now, I, at my first editing role, it was then just kind of fine-tuned on what people liked, what people liked to, liked to read, and working with all these fantastic writers and journalists, and even broadcasting journalists, um, running and helping out with the, our first podcast, which included Caroline Barker, Kevin Hatchard, Andy Brassel. And, you know, you, you don't work with those people and then not pick anything up and you make those kind of contacts when what I've realized in my late 20s is that how much of the football industry and football journalism industry is based on your networking rather than I would say a good 
80% of it is networking and getting to know people and the 20% is the actual writing output that you do. And out of curiosity, who is that team you supported growing up, Jasmine? Um, Arsenal. <laughs> I'm a no, uh, <laughs> my family are um, all Arsenal fans, so I was born into it. Um, but we're also from Northwest London. And geographically, I think that would have put us nearer to Queen's Park Rangers. Um, I actually come from the school where, and like the park area where the Queen's Park Rangers were actually originally set up um, before moving to West London. But yeah, um, Gooners through and through. Having lived in Northwest London, that's the exact same excuse I give out for when uh, people ask me who do you support being Chelsea. But um, I suppose, yeah, I suppose watching Arsenal in the late 90s, you look at, at Arsene Wenger, who revolutionised English game, and you speak about your own experiences working in betting, working across multiple other sports. Did all those kind of influences work together in a weird and wonderful way to kind of to assist you in perhaps offering insights that were nuanced when it comes to football, offering a different perspective to the game? I believe so. I think everyone has a story and that story always kind of crafts them into what they're doing at the moment. I think a lot of people, if I would go into jobs and give them my CV, they would always ask, so how did someone studying music, worked in retail, then gambling, slightly, nearly got into product management, get here? And it happens at every stage. And um, I think that does make you a little bit more, um, fine, again, fine-tuned to the things that you know and um, help you craft and your creativity throughout pieces rising. And I think it's, it also helps find your niche. Everyone needs to find a niche to stand out. Um, if it's being the best at something, if it's doing something differently. And I think especially how I've come about with tactics in recently, I've only learned it in the last year, but something within it clicked with me. I could always point out a formation, but sometimes I wouldn't find the wording. So it just took a little bit more time for me to just think, oh, actually, I kind of get this. And I think everyone has a moment where like, oh, actually, not many people do this, but I know that I know this better or how to elaborate further than anyone else. So yeah, it definitely does give you that mold on how to like communicate with other people on the, your passion. Brilliant. And then when you were starting off in your journalism career, when it comes to football, Jasmine, you had brilliant mentors to lean on, so to speak, in the likes of Andy Brazel, Caroline Barker. There, I suppose over the years we've seen very few women working in that aspect of the football industry and that's changing over time. When you begun, how difficult was that process at the start, I suppose, overcoming, feed, getting, feed, getting constructive feedback, overcoming criticism, making that initial foray into the industry? Was there many people which you could have relied upon at the time? And likewise, nowadays, with the great stuff you're putting out there, is there any aspiring female journalists reaching out to you? It's a funny thing, actually. Um, I think people who know me will probably say I don't take criticism well. <laughs> I'm very stubborn. I'm, 
I'm, but the, I, I, I kind of appreciate that I am these things. Uh, and it has taken me a while, especially from like my mid twenties or even a year ago, even two years ago, uh, probably pre pandemic about how down I'd get and how I'd compare myself to others where others were and um, how I've gotten to here today. Um, I didn't come from a conventional like background like normal journalists or writers. I'm not, I don't have a journalism degree. I don't have any degree actually. Um, I didn't do uh, journalism qualifications. I just was someone online who wrote. And I think, it, again, if you have that passion to do something with your life, everyone just needs a starting point. If you enjoy it, do it often. Can you, and what I've discovered during the years is that I can't work at the same rate as other people who go to matches and do post-match um, coverage. I, I'm, I would, would love to do broadcast, but there are things that I struggle with, which I now appreciate. And I think it's knowing what you're getting yourself in for um, is another one of the thing, things that you have to take out. Are you ready to work weekends? Are you ready to work late nights? you know, travel places, all of these things come into context once you start getting into it and you discover if you like it or not. As for people asking me for advice, um, I haven't had that many women contact me on advice. Um, my messages are open, especially if it's more tactical based because there's not that many women in tactical areas of football. Um, I have had plenty of other messages, but then mostly male asking for tactical advice, um, how you pick out possessions, just general tactics knowledge and how to write with it. Um, and I'm always open for giving advice. Um, there's plenty of people that I have tried to help. It's fun to share ideas, um, but also that's a good point. Um, don't if you don't feel comfortable in sharing your ideas you don't have to because there has been loads of plagiarism cases so but I'm always here to give advice to anyone who needs it that's fantastic and I think a key thing which you remarked upon earlier on Jasmine was knowing yourself knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and I think one of the things from COVID which we've seen in the football industry has been as you suggested earlier on these journalists that are caught in the pre-match and post-match hullabaloo of reporting and upon what they see. It's kind of, people have taken a step back now and they've realized this kind of fast food way of looking at football, you know, it's not really benefiting anyone. It's primarily descriptive. Um, one piece which I would like to bring to attention was um, the recent article you published on Medium covering uh, Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund. Nearly play-by-play -play analysis after the game was an absolutely wonderful read and terrific insight. Where did this passion, I suppose, kind of cultivate for German football? You've since obviously moved to Germany, but where did it initially begin? Oh, um, I think when I was growing up, you'd have a range of football on TV and I was never... Look, with me on loads of sports and um, it would just absorb into my brain like I, I I love NFL I love MLB and that goes with different types of in different countries football leagues um 
German ones stuck with stuck with me a little bit earlier because it was just so chaotic. Anyone who watches German football, they I mean it's normally the same result every year by Munich win the league, but they have just shocking results in time for time. It's always been quite an expansive open playing market and it's always entertaining um it's i've been i think there's a reason why people enjoy it so much but also why young english attacking talents do so well there as well um it's just the type of play and look at the stars it's cultivating jaden sancho uh, erling Haaland. look at Lewandowski, muller um Serge Gnabry going from the Premier League slash championship to back to Bayern Munich. Um, and there's just a certain way of play there that really captivated me. And I think I've been lucky to have a few German football contacts that have then across the past year or so made me even more interested in it. And then we obviously all got that whole joy from last May when there were no when there was no football for a good two months and then suddenly the Bundesliga came back so all of that all eyes in the world were was upon it and so it was quite nice to kind of share that passion for a bit I mean there will be quite a few people who'll be like oh I like the Bundesliga first now everyone's an expert in it I guess I felt that a little bit but um, yeah I think that did kind of highlight the Bundesliga for me and then just thought yeah this is a league that I really really enjoy I think I watch it definitely more than the Premier League now or I just find the Premier League a bit more straining on my concentration levels yeah a bit more mainstream even just what was on the other night I was watching Everton versus Burnley and there was some, I was switching over from some Spanish game that was on as well. And I could not believe just the difference in technical quality going from one game to the other. And I find it quite ironic when you speak about your love for German football being kind of read upon this idea of chaos when it's so far removed to what you're used to as an Arsenal fan. You know, of course, in the library, that is the Emirates. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think Arsenal and Arsene Wenger in general just really upped my enthusiasm enthusiasm for chaos and heart attacks in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and then, of course, the fans, they're such an integral role to what makes German football great, the 50 plus one rule, the fan culture. What effect, of course, we've seen in the last third of the Bundesliga season last year, but of course this year, a full season without fans in stadia all over Germany. What effect has that perhaps had on certain tactical schemes employed? Have we seen a decrease in any of the mainstream stats we've been accustomed to over the years? Um, we have seen a change in playing style. Um, I think that's more to do with Corona itself and how congested the fixture list is. Um, in terms of like home advantage, that's pretty much stayed the same. Bundesliga, as I said, chaotic, um, never had a very high um, home advantage percentage. And that hasn't really changed. It might have dropped by a percent or two, 
Um, but there's so many things you have to take into account with um, when you have congested fixture lists or if you have a player out from COVID, bigger teams are well equipped to change their team. They have more players. And um, with that, they're always going to be more of an advantage than the smaller teams like Cone, Armenia, Bielefeld. Um, I would say Schalke, but no, I'm not gonna even gonna try and use any logic with Schalke this season. Um, but you have seen some kind of differences because of COVID. So teams aren't pressing as high as they did um, two seasons ago. They're opting to defense, defend lower and block passing lanes rather than press high. Um, because you need a lot of in if you you need so much energy throughout the whole season to keep this high intensity high press tactic up and the teams that have decided to stick that way have got loads of injuries and by Leverkusen basically loads of injuries are now struggling um so other teams have decided to just focus on that easier part of defense um, and not go so high and choose to defend in other ways as closing passing lanes. Um, you've also seen like the return of uh, defending in a back four. Again, that kind of suits what I've just said. It's more natural coverage of the pitch. Um, and it's it makes for a more interesting reading of the game, really, because you've still got these high intensity runs from players and sprints from players. You see Erling Haaland just completely tearing up the pitch at times. And that automatically makes you think, oh, they're playing high, etc. No, it's just clever runs, cle clever passing from the back. And um, that helps them dictate these things. With Dortmund, um, they're probably playing higher than they did under Favre, which probably suits them more now. But um, yeah, those are the kind of things that we're seeing in the Bundesliga to kind of mitigate the, the effects of COVID and having weakened squads or tired squads. And I suppose one team who's very much, they've been apprehensive about changing their style, so to speak, in these COVID-ridden times is Bayern Munich. Now, they've maintained a high line for all of the season. And it's nearly absurd to say they're top of the Bundesliga. Lewandowski is breaking goal records on the daily now, it seems. They've won a European Super Cup. They've won the Club World Cup. Yet Hansi Flick's position seems quite tenuous, really. Um, Hasan Siljanovic, the technical director. Sorry, I've butchered that name. But <laughs> his, uh, his relationships with the board members at Bayern Munich isn't all too healthy. Um, we've seen he's been quite unwilling to integrate the likes of new signings, such as Nicolas Sula, although signed last season, his return from injury, Mark Rocca. We've seen a lack of willingness on his part, perhaps, Flick, to work with those above him. Do you see his position as tenuous, especially with the German job, I suppose, available now at the, at the moment? Like if we were to play one big game of German coach <laughs> roulette, who gets that job in the summer after Joachim Lowe? I, I can't see it. I know other people will be like, why would Flick want to go to the German national team? I think the answer is 
he's perfectly suited for it. Hansi Flick has never really come across as a person who wants to go and try and dominate the Premier League. He doesn't seem like a Nagelsmann or Pep Guardiola or anyone else that I could throw at you. Um, he seems quite settled in Germany. Uh, he was Yogi Liv's um, assistant coach. He went to Bayern, he's won everything. Like, where do you go from there? I'm like, unless you change country and then try and do the whole same thing again. I think he was very, very privileged in the position he got in. I mean, going to Bayern Munich with all those kind of players he won everything. He's won everything. He has nothing to really prove. And the German job, I think he'll kind of feel relaxed in it. It's a perfect job. You're off most of the time. You get the best of the best players and you just have to play them. And I think with how Bayern's gone, I think that could be the perfect fit for him again. Um, like we've had other jobs come up. He could have easily gone... I mean, this is very stupid, but saying Dorman came up, he could have gone for another big role. Um, could still go Gladbach. He won't go for Gladbach. Um, I just don't really see anyone else but Flick taking that, especially with him not really getting along at Bayern with the, the higher arms. Um, I think it just seems like him him winning the Bundesliga, he might not win the Bundesliga, Bayern might not want him in the summer. There's all of these possibilities. And I think if there's the German national team coach job going, Hansi Flick would love it. I think on the surface though, you take it as it is. But I mean, behind closed doors, there was that suspicion that Joachim Law would have stayed on until Christmas 22, after the 22 World Cup in Qatar. But what you're going to see this summer, Jasmine, I think, in my eyes, is this huge domino effect where it, if indeed Flick does leave Bayern Munich to return to the German national team, you may have a Julian Nagelsmann who might come in and take the Bayern Munich job, who's been yeah. heavily linked with it in recent weeks. But his Leipzig side this season are going toe for toe. They've coped admirably without the presence of Timo Werner, who is very much their pivotal man, their go-to striker over the past yeah. few years. What adaptations, if any, has Nagelsmann and Red Bull Leipzig made this season? I think what you've seen from them, I don't think they've gone too far from what they were last season. Um, I think they've just benefited um, of the consequences of COVID and the league and everyone having massive weaknesses. Nagelsmann's a tactical genius. He gets all of his players in all sorts of kind of positions and get them get them used to playing in a tactical flexible way um I think he would be perfect for Bayern I think it's a step up I think even if he goes toe-to-toe with Bayern this season say he wins the Bundesliga I think that's as far as they can go for the amount of quality and the way Leipzig as well as the Red Bull entity does things um and then then we have to see who will then join Leipzig there's still the Gladbach job and I mean you get one of these Bundesliga merry-go-round managerial merry-go-rounds at least once every two seasons sometimes once a season if you're lucky so we'll get one of those um so yeah I, I think he's 
what he's done with his tactical tactical flexibility is that more players of his are sharing the load of goal score, goal scoring. Um, I think Nkunku's the top goal scorer with six goals in the Liga. Um, and then you've got, I think, Sabitzer with five and someone else with five. Angelino. Um, yes. <laughs> and I think that is their only downside, I guess, because they don't have a main man that is scoring double digits this season, which will probably affect them more than they know. They're very, very efficient um, defensively. But when you've got another team scoring 74 goals and one of them has 32 goals um, by himself, yeah, you're probably, even though you're four points behind them, you're probably going to lose to them. Um, That is a bit of a weak spot for them. Exactly. And you look at Nagelsmann, what he's done at Red Bull, he's developed a playing squad, really, where it's almost universal in the way they understand football systematically and play the game. Now, you go to Bayern Munich, hypothetically speaking, with Nagelsmann, and we all know in Bavaria, you have to mention, you have to manage these world-class stars, you have to manage personalities such as Manuel Neuer, Thomas Müller, uh, Robert Lewandowski, young Leroy Sané. How would Nagelsmann adapt? If for me, it sounds strange, but I know he's a young man, but he's seen, you know, he's been around for the past five, six years between Hoffenheim and Red Bull. I think this move, personally speaking, comes a bit too soon in Nagelsmann's development. I mean, it is is hypothetical. uh, Hypothetically, um, I think he's one of those world-class managers that will need to make a step like this. I don't think there's going to be any more places he can go between RB Leipzig, especially with them getting into the semi-finals last year and, you know, competing for the title this year. Um, you're, you're not going to get many clubs in between them and Bayern across the world. I mean, he's been linked with Manchester United, Real Madrid, I mean, they're as big as Bayern and they have as many stars and as many personalities as Bayern. Um, I think loads of people respect Julian Nagelsmann and I think he runs a tough gig. And I think it's a bit like Arteta at Arsenal. Um, He's got those non-negotiables. He's quite, he's both stern and fair. And I think a lot of players understand and get that. Um, so I, despite it being quite a big jump up and it will be a real test to see him manage these sorts of personalities, I think Bayern's probably the easiest club in terms of personalities he can go to, especially if he ever considered Madrid. That would be a quite, quite a different... Contrast, so to speak. Yeah, quite a contrast indeed. I suppose one managerial move, which will be happening this summer, which you were heartbroken about was Merkel Rosa leaving Gladbach to take the reins at Borussia Dortmund. How, oh, yeah. I mean, what should both A, the Borussia Dortmund fan and B, the neutral, what should they expect to see next season with America Rosa inspired Borussia Dortmund compared to what we were used to and subject to at times under Lucien Favre's? Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm 
That is so, con- for Parisia Dortmund fan, I really don't know. I would be a little bit worried about what I'm saying. Um, I've, I've said it in past, like, previews and everything. Dortmund are pretty pre- predictable at the moment. And I feel like Marco Rosa might make them more predictable. Um, we don't know what players they're going to keep on to. Erling Haaland might be gone. The thought process is Jaden Sancho is gone. Um, you've got a, an array of young talent. Um, you might see them up for more games. Uh, they're big game players, and Marco Rosa is good at man management. That's one of his um, advantages, and they should get along with him more. However, the players really like Terzic at the moment and believe that Terzic is getting the best out of them. Um, they're through in the Champions League. They're, they've started to turn a corner in the domestic league. And it feels weird. It, and they're obviously still in the DFB Pokal. Um, it feels weird that Dortmund wants to keep Terzic as an assistant manager, first of all, a person who's doing so well with the team, bringing someone else who has completely messed his team up. And then you've got like kind of style clashes with Marco Rosa. Um, his team, well, his team at the moment aren't good at anything, but when they used to be a little bit better, um, they were better without the ball. Then they kind of wasteful in possession. They keep along with it, but don't really progress it anywhere. They rely on the kind of counterattacks and um, the pace of their team. Um, they're still relying on a 32-year-old Lars Stindl, to, who's top scorer this season. Um, and I think these are things that Dortmund have struggled with, just being wasteful in possession, not getting the goals that they need to progress. Their defence is lacking. And I think this might well be another one of those appointments that don't really fit for Dortmund. They'll stick it out for a year. They may be finish in the Champions League places and then, you know, they look search for their new club again. Exactly. You know what? I have to agree with you about Ed and Terzic. I absolutely love him. I remember the first time I came across him was listening to him in the Amazon documentary inside Borussia Dortmund. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? He's, you know, he's well-spoken, speaking about the tactics side of the game and playing with heart and passion. And, you know, we see these people in football like Guardiola, like Mourinho, that know constantly the cameras are on them and they act accordingly. With Eden Perisic and the touchline with his baseball cap, <laughs> it's like <laughs> no kind of um, awareness of what's going on around him. He's just caught up in the game. And I think what was best was um, a few weeks ago when Borussia Dortmund played away at Bayern Munich. The, it's brilliant on German TV. They have no fan noise at all anything whatsoever you could hear Terzic he was like the 12th man just shouting absolutely everything at the players poor um Tiggis when he came on as a sub he got an awful ear doing for the 20 <laughs> so he was on the pitch but for me I think it smacks of awful oversight from both uh Hans Vatska uh, and uh, Michelle Zork at Dortmund in terms of replacing Favre via Terzic with Marco Rosa because for me, there are a lot of similarities between the football that Lucien Favre tried to impose upon Dortmund 
with Marco Rosa in terms of drawing out the press, counter-attack from the halfway line, so to speak. And I think if you have players there like Erling Haaland and Jadon Sancho, I don't know how malleable they are going to be. <laughs> it's instructions from a young coach in Marco Rosa. Um, so, I mean, best case scenario for Dortmund really is finding a suitable buyer for both Sancho and Haaland. I reckon if Dortmund could get a time machine and go back to last summer, they would have chewed Man United's hand off for that 120 million new for Jaden Sancho. Yeah, I and it's it's weird how things panned out. There, there might be a number of buyers trying to get Erling Haaland this summer before his release clause kicks in. Um, but you know, if if he's without Sancho, if Montrose is without Sancho and Haaland for the new season, he could go well. I don't have the best players you had last year. What can we do? And my feeling is who they could bring in. If they get Champions League, it'll be easier, obviously. Um, but that's still to be seen too. Um, if they're in the Europa League, you might get an easier ride. Um, but it, it just, I don't know why you would wait till summer for someone like Marco Rose rather than maybe like Ten Hag from Ajax. He surely he wants, it's like there was uh, rumors of Ten Hag going to Gladbach, but why would someone who's constantly in European football grows the best youth players go to Gladbach? You would go to Dortmund. Um, so it's really weird and probably suits more of the style that they're, they're playing and to make those I'm improvements. Sorry. Oh, Sirius just kicked off at me there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so it, it is a bit on even Julian Nagelsmann. Dortmund have more funds; they have more, like more authority in world football. They're a big club. I mean, I'll be like saying they're doing very well, but they're not seen as big yet. Um, so it, it's just weird planning on all sides of Dortmund, in, in my opinion. And then I suppose. As a fan of Bercy Munson Gladbach, who would you like to see personally appointed to replace Marco Vosa? I think I had a long list before, but loads of people just keep on dropping out. I think at the start was Marsh, but uh, Jesse Marsh from RB Salzburg. But I think with them slowly dropping down the table, I think it becomes a less luxurious job to take. If they were even in Europa, that would still be something. But I, I really don't know where this team's going to land and who they can attract. Um, you know, any big names that I want aren't going to happen anymore. Um, and Gladbach's kind of, I mean, can they get Ten Hag? I would love Ten Hag too. Uh, Hansi Flick might be available. Um, yeah, he wouldn't fit them. Yeah, someone like Ten Hag, Jesse Marsh, just someone quite but actually has a tactical nous would be great. You change. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Arsene Wenger. He's free. Surely. That He's would be great. I think you're jumping the gun on that one. Isn't he tied up? <laughs> no, of course, he's tied up with FIFA at the moment. But, I mean, Arsene Wenger at Gladbach. I mean, I think that would be amazing, especially if they keep on with like a good amount of the plays that they currently have. Um, 
Yeah, you're, th you're thinking about one of the best developers of players ever to have graced the sport. You're looking at guys there like Marcus Thurum, Alisson Playa, Dennis Sakaria. I, uh, I really wanted um, like one or both of them at Arsenal. I thought they would just fit in perfectly. Sakari Dennis Sakaria, that's probably, I mean, the rumours are Man City for him. Florian Neuhaus, the rumours are uh, Bayern Munich. Um, you don't have, you've got pacey wing backs slash full backs, and then you've got a horrible defence. Well, not horrible defence. You've got not the best defence. They were better last season. Um, yeah, that, that would actually really suit him. <laughs> I think you need to get a petition going. Send it over to Max Erbel. <laughs> well, I, I was actually gunning for um, Wenger for um, the German national team because I think I don't think Austin Wenger will make a step back into uh, league football when he's home soon. I think national is the only way he would go. And I think him under the German national team would have been class. I think surprisingly so, yeah, too. I mean, Wenger has always struck me as the type of guy, you know, deep thinker philosophically. If you gave him a few months to prepare for a big international tournament or a series of games, I think he'd come up with something quite special, really. And there's no doubt in my mind that you look at what Deschamps achieved in 2018, albeit, I mean, how do you undermine somebody that's won the World Cup? But in terms of the style of football they played, perhaps if Wenger was there, could he have achieved a similar outcome from playing a different type of football? I certainly think so. I think the most exciting thing at the moment is players like Jamal Musiala that's opted to play for Germany rather than England. And you've got this good crop of young German players. They just need someone to kind of mould them together to perform at national team level. Um, and I think Arsene Wenger would be perfect for that. I think in terms of succession planning, this is something Oliver Bierhoff has spoken about before. Of course, I mean, we've seen with the DFB Academy, there's a plethora of brilliant players coming through, brilliant coaches, but how do you get them all through the system at once that's convenient for the DFB? Especially, you know, once... You see, I mean, I just still can't get over it. Whacking law, leaving a Germany job this summer. I think it's going to create such a domino effect that will have, I think, repercussions for um, club football within Germany and perhaps the national team, so to speak. I think it's just such an abrupt nature. You have the Euros this summer, with the World Cup next Christmas. I think it comes around far too quickly for all parties concerned. I think there was kind of tellings. Um with his last few games that people were calling for him to quit before. And I think I think he's probably been thinking about when he should step down. It's been such a long time. And I think the football has side has outgrown him. It's a little bit like the kind of tactical ableness of Wenger back then or Mourinho back then or any other old coach 10 years ago. And just the, the when the type of football moves and you can't keep track of that, it's easier at domestic level than a national coach level where you've only got your players every now and then. And I think the football was will, will starting to outgrow him. So I think, yeah, this tournament probably does feel, was feeling like his last from before. And then I suppose, having covered all the mainstream topics such as the German national team, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, further down the table in Germany, is there any perhaps interesting 
side that are quite tactically adept or doing anything interesting from a tactical point of view that neutrals perhaps could spare a few hours watching these weekends oh that's interesting uh tactical there no one's doing anything tactically different at the moment no one's uh really in my eyes tactically worth looking at however Stuttgart have an interesting kind of build going on I mean they're ninth now I'm trying to trying to figure out how far Gladbach have fallen and I know that they're 10th and I know Stuttgart are above them now I mean Sven Mislintat from um when Arsenal did he Go then go to AC Milan and then back. He was, he was before Wenger. He left after Gazidis went to AC Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And um, so Sven Mislintat's there, bringing a whole new cultivated, like young players in. They're playing quite exciting football, but nothing tactically different. Um, they were obviously promoted last year. Um, and I mean, they're doing better than any other promoted team. Um, I mean, your Bielefeld, for instance, who might actually stay up. Um, but in terms of kind of teams that you wouldn't look at in the top six, maybe, um, they're definitely looking like quite an innovative young structure kind of building up the ranks. It's always nice when you see a like underdog do better than you expect. And I think they've gotten a nice groundwork for the next couple of years to come to stay in the league and challenge for Europe. Exactly. And I suppose to close, when fans are allowed back in stadiums, Jasmine, given that you live in Germany at this present time, what grounds are you most looking forward to attending? Oh, any of them, all of them. <laughs> I want to go to some like, a three league, maybe go to Dynamo Dresden uh, because their fans are crazy. <laughs> Just like the proper, uh, we see it in terms of like Premier League and Championship. When you go to a Championship game, there is a different sort of culture when you what when you're in the derby away end compared to mm, Liverpool at home, and. I think if you really want to experience German culture, you go, even though, like, go to Stuttgart game, go to Cone game, go to Frankfurt game, it, it's going to be mad. But if you want to see even better stuff, you go down the leagues. So just the more the more emotional, the more crazy, like, that's, that's the ones that I want to go to. And if there is one particular derby I could push you for that's on your bucket list, I mean, certainly for me, it's Hamburg St. Pauli. That fixture has always resonated with me. Oh, I'm a good. See, the thing is, I think that one is, it's not that like it's too mainstream, but I think for watching so much Bundesliga Survive uh, this season has made me tired of like, stuff like that. I think I have to go for Gladbach Cohn. Yeah, just as a Gladbach fan, just I want to see because that's the one that they always get. We saw Cohn win um, against Gladbach, and it's always just always ramps up the emotions of that one. Um, so I would say, yeah, that one is the, my bucket list. Fantastic. I don't think even perhaps the notion of Gladbach winning the Champions League this season could ever 
suppose replicate the feeling that everybody will experience once fans return to stadiums. Um, Jasmine, to finally to close now, I promise last question. Can I have some predictions for the Bundesliga, DFB, Paul Cal, and the summer's Euros? Ooh, is Euros, I've no idea. Um, I just think I, France by default of a 55-man squad. <laughs> I mean, the under-21 squad of France is frightening. It Absolutely is insane. Frightening. I, I'm used to German football and German youngsters, but France... Yeah, I, I think this should be France's time. Normally, you've got the World Cup win and then they win the Euros afterwards. So I'm, I think, yeah, France is a good a good shout. Um, and then DFB, Pokal, we've got Werder Bremen. Uh, I'm going to go Leipzig. I think Leipzig will mark, if Dortmund go through Holstein kill, which they won't. But yeah, <laughs> if Dortmund, Dortmund should look like they're on turn of the corner, but I still think... If they meet Leipzig, that's it. Um, and then Bundesliga, I'm going by Munich. I think four, four um, points ahead. I think that might be enough for them to see it. Superb. Jasmine, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you about all things German football and tactics. Where is best to connect online? Um, my Twitter account is where I'm most active, and that's underscore Jasmine Barber. Fantastic. I'll be sure to link all of in the show notes below. Jasmine, take care. Absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.